G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. You might have heard a few people lamenting the idea you can't travel overseas right now. You might even be feeling a little let down if you had a bucket list plan to visit, say, the nation of Israel for a Christian pilgrimage to the Holy Land, visiting historic sites, walking the streets of Jerusalem, seeing the sites that Jesus saw. Well, There is a refreshing move on right now to highlight Australia's very own Christian history that appears to be captivating the imagination of lots of Aussies who are forced to holiday at home. Now, the truth is, Australian Christian history is almost everywhere given the substance of Christian foundations in our national heritage. Well, last week, you might recall, we were talking about tour companies planning Christian tours in Australia. Today, a conversation about the iconic Christian history sites that you can see on a holiday trip to Sydney. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't see historic Christian sites in other capitals and even in the outback in all sorts of different communities. But we're going to get a focus on those iconic sites in Sydney today. If you happen to be going on a holiday there, you might want to take a special note. Our special guest through this coming hour is Professor Stuart Piggin. His evangelical Christian history books are outstanding. He co-wrote two volumes, one you'll recall certainly because uh, it was named Australian Christian Book of the Year 2019, entitled The Fountain of Public Prosperity, Evangelical Christians in Australian History, 1740 to 1914. Well, the second volume called Attending to the National Soul, deals with the history since then, 1914 to 2014. Professor Stuart Piggin was director of the Centre for the History of Christian Thought and Experience at Macquarie University until 2016, and he is head of the Department of Christian Thought of the Australian College of Theology. Professor Stuart Piggin, a special welcome back to 2020. Lovely to be back, Neil. Thank you for having me. Stuart, let's start with something fairly, I think, which is profoundly important when we talk about visiting historic sites. When we talk history, we're talking about telling stories. I know you love to tell stories, and uh, it really cuts through some of the thoughts that people have about uh, history being a little monotonous and, uh, you know, I can't get into this. But telling stories, we're all into. Give us your thoughts here on what history is to you. Yes. I think, Neil, that uh, a lot of professional academic history has become very boring because it deals with abstractions and isms and statistics and all these sorts of things. And uh, journalists, on the other hand, are far more popular because they tell stories about people. So historians should be emulating the the, the, uh, journalists in that respect, I think. We should be telling stories about people. Uh, And so um, uh, in the history books that I've written recently, there are lots of stories. And the storytelling is great. But the thing about this tour is that uh, it does something in addition to that. Namely, it takes you to the physical sites. And that's another thing 
to make history interesting, I think, is to actually visit the places where these things have happened, where these people express their their, their faith in, in, in remarkable ways. And as a result of preparing for this uh, tour, and I'm very grateful for this opportunity to practice with you because I've never done this before. <laughs> and uh, if there are any listeners who are out there who know what I should be doing, then please ring up and let me know. But I, I'm just stunned by the quality of the Christian sites in Sydney. I mean, our churches, some of our churches in Sydney are just absolute national treasures. I believe that the, the, the Gothic Revival churches of Sydney are among the best Gothic Revival churches in the world. And uh, so we, we've, been, we've been very well served, really, but it's a bit of an invisible history because so much of our Christian history is, is made invisible by secular historians who, who don't write about it. Um, for example, uh, one of the sites we're going to be visiting is uh, St. Stephen's, Macquarie Street, and it's like a lot of our churches has a great plaque uh, uh, to commemorate the people who died in the war, in the wars. And uh, these are remarkable monuments. And indeed, um, the first hall of remembrance before the one was built in Canberra was built in the Presbyterian Church in in Canberra. And that was sort of, that was the model which was taken by Billy Griffin to establish the, the shrine of remembrance in Canberra. It started with the Christians, but when Ken Inglis wrote about. Uh, uh, the, the, the sites for commemoration of our soldiers just left out all the churches. Yeah, uh, and it, it, it is a remarkable omission because there are all these warrior chapels and, and uh, commemorations and things like that. It, it is an extraordinary omission, which we really must address. So these, these are quality sites. Well, when we talk about history, as you say, it's often selective history, according to the historian who's writing the book. And so it's why it's so refreshing that your two absolutely amazing volumes and uh, I think 30 years in construction of these volumes of history are so, so important uh, for every Australian to know that they're there and be able to access them when they need to. But this idea of Christian history here in Australia, and oftentimes too, uh, history is written by, uh, by the people who are in power at the time too. Uh, which is uh, sometimes I reflect on the way the reason why perhaps Richard Johnson, the very first chaplain, uh, doesn't get as as prom- such a prominent uh, airing in his wonderful foundations of Christian history in Australia because uh, he actually you know was challenging the authorities and got them offside. Uh, he is one of those identities that no doubt will come up lots in the conversation on a, on a tour of Sydney. Yes, uh, he, he is everywhere. Um, and uh, we'll be we'll be visiting the, the site of the first service where he preached the first sermon, and uh, and built the first church and built the first church uh, built the first uh, schoolhouse because he was a school teacher as well. And then the next day we're going on to um, the uh, state library where we'll be having a look at some Richard Johnson documents. He he was the he. he 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 had he he had published the first printed book in Australia, which was a uh, a, um, a recommendation of the gospel to to convicts, and we'll be actually looking at that that volume. It's uh, quite a a sacred thing. But on, on a fascinating point about how historians select things, we've we've got a stunning example of this in um, in William Dawes, uh, the first lieutenant in, uh, on the, in on the first fleet, who was an engineer and an astronomer. And Dawes Point in Sydney, where the Sydney Harbour Bridge uh, has its pylons, was named after him. And uh, um, he, uh, as I I spent a lot of time in the Fountain of Prosperity explaining, 
is uh, he, he tried to understand the Aboriginal language, tried to, to learn it, and uh, so his, the notebooks exist. And uh, um, historians have become fascinated by these notebooks, and they pick out the things which reinforce their particular ideas. And uh, lots of historians have written about him, but none of them, except for the Fountain of Public Prosperity, talk about the Christian side of things. I mean, you've got there in his notebooks references to Aboriginal girls saying that they're going to to see Mr. Johnson um, to have their petticoats washed and they're going to see the Domini, that is Richard Johnson, that was their fancy name for for the minister. It must have been the name that, that he was named at the time because it was a, it's a Scottish word for a minister or a school teacher. They, um, uh, they say that they're going to see Mr. Johnson to read the book. In other words, there's evidence there of Richard Johnson teaching Aboriginal children the Bible. Now, this is not mentioned in, in most of the secular history, but it but, but it's there, all right. And but the, the wonderful thing about actually going to Dawes Point, where he met with these Aboriginal adolescents and and other Aboriginal people, is that you get a feeling for this that you don't otherwise get. So he was told to. Uh, to put up there an, observe, an astronomical observatory, and to also erect a, um, a battery for the for the for the guns in order to protect the new colony. He had to do all these things. He was surveyor and cartographer and astronomer, just to do everything. Philip got him to do all these things. And there's obviously one occasion when he was talking to somebody, and people people have suggested it might have been uh, it, it might have been uh, some of the more senior. Um, Aboriginal men and women about the um, uh, about the, the geography of the place, and so there's this little map inside. It's fascinating. There's a little map inside the uh, one of the one of the notebooks, and in this little map, it has seven Aboriginal place names of the places around where he was. And one of them is the word Tara, which is Dawes Point itself. That was the Aboriginal word for Dawes Point, Tara, T-A-R-A. Um, which is an interesting questions about whether Tara School was named after him after that, but it wasn't. It was named after Tara in Ireland because it's a fairly popular word, I think. It's not only a word which is confined to Aboriginal people. Anyway, um, and then then there's the word Memel, and Memel is now Goat Island. And Goat Island is where Benelong spent a lot of time with Barangaroo. And, and the interesting thing about that is that Benelong claimed to be... He, he said, this is, this is my island. And uh, people today will reel back at this and say, but just a minute, I didn't think Aborigines owned land. I don't think they ever claimed that they actually owned the land. But probably what he's saying is that I have responsibility for this land. I have custodianship of this land. And uh, and then there's another word beyond beyond that, um, Kawau, which probably refers to Cockatoo Island, which is a, which is one of the sites we're actually going to be visiting on this on this tour. Because it was one of the, the prison sites where they had a, a school, uh, had a, a prison chapel, and so we're going to be visiting. It's, it's very fascinating. But when you actually stand on Dawes Point, you cannot any longer see Cockatoo Island. So, how would he have seen it on that particular day? And the answer must be that uh, Cockatoo Island was in a lot higher than it is now, mm. because when they started to build a prison there, they scooped the top off the off the island and made it a lot lower. And they put it all around the island to make it a lot bigger around the base. Uh, 
So there are all these sorts of fascinating things that you see when you actually go to the site. Well, and another fascinating one is the is the site of the first service. I think that they put a lot of time into working out where they were going to have that service, and that's why they didn't have a service on the first Sunday, which was the day after they landed. They spent a lot of time getting that right. All right. We will unpack some more of this fabulous detail. And just to mention, the tour that we are talking about is coming up the 18th through the 20th of March. It'll be in Sydney, uh, these historic Christian sites, and talking about the people uh, of our Australian Christian history, uh, a three-day fully immersive tour turning back the clock in the CBD in Sydney and in the rocks, and you might even be taking notes now about some of these sites in case you can't get on uh, the tour that we're talking about. But uh, there is a website, and we were talking to Olive Tree Travel last week. It's olivetreetravel.com.au if you're interested in this tour. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Hey, I want to open our talkback lines. You might have your own insight to offer into our conversation. You might have a question about Australia's Christian history. You might have a special question about any of the iconic sites we're talking about in the city of Sydney. Our special guest is Professor Stuart Piggin. He is head of the Department of Christian Thought of the Australian College of Theology. I mentioned a couple of amazing volumes that he has co-written. We'll tell you about those as the conversation continues continues and gets underway. We're talking about what is coming up as a tour and what a an opportunity when there is an official tour that is uh, available to be booked and with uh, Professor Stuart Piggin as one of the tour guides, you wouldn't want to miss that sort of history opportunity that is coming. Uh, Stuart, let's talk about the tour and perhaps uh, where you might even start the tour because uh, from my understanding, you're meeting at St. Philip's Church Church Hill Anglican Church, and uh, and that's got its own historic foundations. Uh, why is it that's the, the first church to meet at? We're going to begin there because uh, it is just full of the most amazing historical treasures. Uh, in particular, the Bible and the prayer book, which we used at the first service, uh, are there, and uh, the Reverend Moffat will 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 lead people through a viewing of those precious uh, documents. Uh, they are fascinating because they are signed by uh, all sorts of monarchs ever since. So, for example, you get uh, you get Queen Elizabeth; she signed it, and Philip, and uh, and uh, Charles and Diana have signed it, and and it's it's very wonderful to see these signatures. And you see signatures of a, of a, a Bishop Marsden, who is descendant from Samuel Marsden, who who thought that he was in very elevated company when he was asked to sign alongside all the kings and queens <laughs> of England. Um, and then when you look at the prayer book itself, you know how in the Anglican Church, in the old days when we had morning and evening prayer, we used to pray for the king and the queen. And all that sort of thing. Well, the queen we pray, pray for in that prayer book is Queen Charlotte, who was the, the, the wife of uh, George III. So she was the queen at the time of the First Fleet. The, the, these are These are very important documents because I believe it is claimed, I don't know how true it is, that this is the only, we Australia is the only nation where the Bible at its, uh, was present at its foundation mm. is, uh, is still extant. And these, 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 this Bible and prayer book, they were given by John Thornton of the Clapham sect, a great friend of William Wilberforce. Um, and uh, he, was, uh, he was said to be the second richest man in, in, uh, in Europe. Um, 
people are fascinated by these sort of people like Elon Musk and Gates and all that sort of thing. Well, we know about John Thornton that he was very well connected and he gave very generously to the First Fleet, and uh, which is one of the reasons why it was so 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 successful. So, then, so I the think, Bible and the on. prayer book that were used at the first service, they survived, yeah. but the actual notes from the first sermon haven't survived. Uh, any thoughts there? Because uh, sometimes people wonder about what was preached on that very first sermon uh, as uh, yes. Richard Johnson led that. And, uh, and of course, it's very significant, but, uh, but uh, the actual sermon notes didn't survive, did they? No, 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 they, did, they didn't. And people do speculate on that. He preached on the text... Psalm 116, verse 12, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? And the obvious question is, what were the convicts thinking about the benefits of this dreadful experience that they were going through? How could, they, how could you claim this as a benefit? And so I, uh, we're actually going to spend a lot of time at the site of the first service where we're going to be talking about this and what, uh, what uh, uh, Richard Johnson might have preached about. Historians are getting very interested in sermons, by the way, because they are sources of historical knowledge which have been hitherto untapped. One of my students um, wrote a PhD on on, on Marsden and, and, and recreated the sermon that he must have preached on that Christmas day in 1812 when the when the gospel was first taken to New Zealand, and he did it by. It, we know we we do have lots of sermons. We do have three or four sermons from Mars and preached on the same text, so he was able to create what he might have been said. But we can't do that with with, uh, with Johnson. But we're going to have a bit of a go at talking about what he's going to, what he might have said on that occasion. Mm. I think that he was very conscious of the fact that this was a very successful maritime experiment. That there were very strong uh, people who were behind this. But above all, he was convinced in his own heart that the gospel was what these uh, convicts needed more than anything else, and that that comes through rather strongly. Another thing that uh, the Reverend Moffat will show us at St. Philip's is possibly the first communion cup, which was used at the first communion service. And I mention this because it's a little, it's a very unimpressive looking thing. It's a little pewter uh, mug. And um, the name Piggin, my name Piggin, is a, <laughs> is a Yorkshire word meaning a pewter drinking vessel. Wow. And so whenever people hear that a Piggin means a Pewter drinking vessel. They know that I'm a I'm a teetotaler. They always fall off their chair laughing. But when I when I say to them, maybe uh, maybe really what it means is a communion cup. Maybe that'll shut them up. Do you think? Anyway, I mention that because I've got to develop jokes somehow. I've been told that tour guides have got to have jokes. And you'll, so um, if you'll any have of your to. listeners are there and they hear any jokes, let me know. All right, and so expect a little bit of humour that uh, that you'll be working very hard on uh, for the tour. Hey, just quickly, uh, with the, the Piggin, uh, com, uh, the Pewter uh, uh, Communion Cup, do you have yeah. history that goes back to that First Fleet, Stuart? I mean, what's your own personal history, just briefly here, because uh, you, you have that connection? Where did your family uh, lineage come from? Yes, my, my family came from just north of London in, in, in Essex, but they didn't come out till the 1840s. Uh, and they quickly occupied land. And uh, the, the farmhouse that I grew up down near Coral on the Murray River, we, when, they, when we did it up, we found newspapers which dated from the 1860s and things like that. So if they're fairly ancient, but no, we don't go back to the First Fleet. Okay. But it's, it's, it, it's an interesting point that you make. that uh, uh, One of the things we'll be doing on the third day of the tour is to go to the old St John's Cemetery in Parramatta. Now, this is an absolute national treasure. This is where everybody who is anybody is buried from the, from these early times, including a lot of the first fleeters. And if you walk around the cemetery, and it, 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 
it needs a lot more money to be put into it to preserve it because it's, it is it is a very difficult thing to maintain a cemetery properly and it's not being maintained as well as it should be but it doesn't have enough government money to do it I suppose And uh, but every now and again you'll see these little flags and when you go to have a look at these flags these are the flags which mark the first fleeters who were buried there alongside everybody else now I find this moving because when you read about the cemetery some commentators say all the first fleeters are uh, sort of um, buried over there in one section and everybody is buried in another section but that's not true at all they're buried um, mingled in with everybody else side by side which is a, which is what Australia has become you know that's it's, it's a, a very accepting sort of a place it is it's a place where these people became free there is there is I, I just want to mention if you were to say to me what is the greatest treasure in, in St Philip's Church there is a an absolutely beautiful monument there um, to Robert Cartwright to uh, sorry to um, uh, uh, to um, Robert Campbell and uh, Robert Campbell was the um, the founder of modern of of, of uh, ethical commerce. He's known as the father of commerce in Australia because the first uh, settlement, they weren't allowed to have commerce. And so someone had to introduce it. And, of course, the Rum Corps tried to do it in a dreadful way. And uh, so the place got into a terrible mess. The person who really sorted it out was Robert Campbell. And there's a lovely monument to him in St. Philip's where he talks about, where, where this monument talks about the debt that, uh, that his children owe to him and the debt which he in turn owes to his heavenly father. And uh, um, it talks about the, the more excellent way which they learnt through, they say, the Apostolic Church of England, <laughs> which is interesting. Wow. Uh, and then it talks about the fact that he was um, illumined by faith, hope and charity. Now, I noticed in your previous uh, interview, you were talking about Christian values and how some Christian values are now looked down upon and, and, and people are outlawing them and all the rest of it. But those are the real values which made Australia. These Christian values, faith, hope, and love. That's that's the that's the, the the more wonderful way, the more excellent way, which we must recover if Australia is ever to become strong again. Wow. Okay. Listen, let me just break here because we're about to go to news, Stuart. But uh, Campbell's Cove, uh, named after Robert Campbell, and uh, you're going to be uh, just unpacking some of these things on the very first day of this tour that's coming up and uh, when you talk about the foundations of ethical commerce in New South Wales uh, ethical commerce for Australia and so when we talk about the way Christianity has shaped our society this is a very very powerful insight hey Stuart we were talking largely in our first segment about really day one of the tour that's coming up but there's uh, lots of things to talk about day two and you'll be meeting at St. James Church in King Street in Sydney on day two. Uh, is there special significance uh, for St. James Church? Well, it's um, absolute. <laughs> it's a standout. Um, it is um, Greenway's church uh, put up by, Mac- by Macquarie, a church of great beauty. And uh, when you go into that church now, it is so well um, uh, refurbished and uh, stained glass windows are staggering. It is surrounded by monuments and uh, uh, plaques which are full of our history, including um, uh, struggles with Aboriginal people and all sorts of controversial things as well as uh, things which are rather nicer to talk about. 
it is a very important uh, alternative church to St Philip's. St Philip's, I think, was the sort of evangelical bastion in Sydney. St James has always, has nearly always been uh, a bastion of an alternative type of churchmanship, which actually goes back to the Duke of Wellington. Uh, and the, uh, the, the the battles which were fought in Europe are represented over here in Australia by some of these uh, some of these churches and their monuments, which is a story in itself. And I suppose that one should we need to talk about the different types of churches that were in Sydney. So what we what we didn't talk about in the first segment, which perhaps we should have, is of course the Catholic churches. And uh, we were we were one once we leave. Um, St Philip's Church Hill would actually just go down the go down the street to um, St Cuthbert's Catholic Church, and the interesting thing about that, the, the sort of point that I'll be wanting to make on the tour is that the connection between those two churches it was known as Church Street. At one end was the, the Presbyterian Church, St Philip's in the middle, and St, St Patrick's down the end, and the actual street, which is now called Lang Street, was called Church Street. And uh, it is just a, a sign of just how important the churches churches were in the early colony, and how how close they were to each other. They were always built close to each other. And after the Church Acts of eighteen thirty six by Governor Burke, and we'll be passing Governor Burke's uh, monument on the way into the public library with great admiration for the, for the man and his uh, and his sweet wife. Um, he uh, he ensured that churches would be built. Um, he paid for the building of churches and for the and for ministry in order to make this convict colony uh, a, a place which was uh, a place where people could live in respectability. Uh, Stuart, just um, before and, we uh, move on from that, uh, Stuart, before we move on from that, of course, uh, Governor Burke's such an important uh, figure because uh, this is seen whenever you go for a drive through country towns everywhere uh, that Governor Burke's hand upon uh, the idea of towns with uh, lots of church buildings, oftentimes four churches, uh, all on street corners. Uh, this is attributable to Governor Burke. Absolutely, absolutely. Very, very important figure. I think following in the, um, in the ambition of Macquarie, uh, who built Anglican churches and uh, was not as ecumenical as, as Burke, but, but, he, but Macquarie saw the importance of... of um, of major church buildings, so for example, he he uh, he uh, he was responsible for the rebuilding of the wonderful church in Windsor, and uh, and in St Luke's Liverpool, and um, and and indeed for St James, the first church that we we, we meet on the we, we come to on the first day. These churches were important to do them well, and and uh, Burke thought, well, all the denominations should get into this, including the Catholics. Methodists, Presbyterians, and uh, so that's why you have these churches on opposite street corners. They're often the, the finest public buildings in any city, and in any town, any, any even small communities. But the, the the sad thing is, when you think about it, most of your listeners will reflect on this: is that probably most of us only ever go into the church of our denomination. When you start going into churches of other denominations, you find how very interesting they are. Wow, fascinating. They've got all sorts of other traditions themselves. Then we're going to go. We're going to go to the great synagogue. Uh, this is interesting Street. because the powerful yeah. thing here uh, is that there were fourteen Jewish convicts uh, aboard yes, uh, ships on the first fleet, and so the yes. Jewish history in Australia goes right back to the first fleet as well. Absolutely, they're a very important part of our history, and uh, so it'll be it'll be wonderful to. Um, to, to visit the great synagogue, Stephen Green, who's in charge of Olive Tree Travel, is uh, is of Jewish faith himself, 
So he's very knowledgeable about this. But he didn't suggest that we should do this. I was the one who suggested we should go to that synagogue. And <laughs> he, he agreed that this would be something that he could he could organise. And so we, we, look, we look forward to that very much. Is then there a sense the, here, uh, Stuart, is there a sense here in which uh, while we talk about a certain ecumenical camaraderie between Protestants and Catholics, given uh, Governor Burke and, uh, and our history that shows that we can in fact peacefully and peaceably get on together, uh, that, uh, that the Jewish history in Australia also is, uh, is that same sort of uh, camaraderie and, and closeness or is there anything there that might be a dark side? Any, any thoughts on, on the fact that the, there is this camaraderie between these faiths? Yes, I've often reflected on that because when secular historians write about religion at all in Australia, they nearly always emphasise the sectarian rivalry between the Catholics and the Protestants and the difficulties that this, that this created. And I suppose most of us have memories of, uh, uh, of differences in families caused by caused by religion. But I've noticed uh, as I've studied history that they, they're all very interested in each other and learning from each other. So rather than sectarian rivalry, I've called it sanctified competition. I think this is the greater truth about Australian religious history. They all learn from each other. They were very keen to, uh, when when one uh, Christian family decided that their church was not good enough and they pulled it down and they built another lovely Gothic stone revival church and the others would all follow suit. And that's why you, had, that's why you have all these lovely churches in Australia, because of this, this um, sanctified competition. Wonderful. It's, it's, hey. it's like all competition, which is, I mean, competition can, can sometimes be very good. Sanctified competition, I love it. Uh, look, uh, taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. You can join in our conversation, and uh, let's hear from Adam in Warhope in New South Wales. Adam, welcome along. Oh, good morning, Stuart, and good morning, Neil. Um, Hello, I Adam. just want to bring a little bit of a, how are you, Stuart? You know, you do know me. It's, you know me probably as Mister Yellow Lexus, uh, Adam, from way back at a at a but um, yeah, so I used to go to church with you down at um, uh, down next to Macquarie many years ago. Fabulous. But, um, okay. But <laughs> but what I'm just ringing about is just a different perspective on on the history itself, and and one of the things that's just so what we're up against at the moment is the eradication of history uh, from all you know uh, from a particular sort of part of the community, and it's been on my heart very much so to actually. Um, delve into history more so that's been wonderful i'm, I'm got on top of my list to get your books uh, stuart they're on my uh, ipad there and um because that's the first thing but also the second thing is just to uh look at all the wonderful history we do have here um, and it, it is a testimony of what christ has already done in our land and um i just want to sort of put that across to listeners today. adam just wonderful to get that insight and uh, I wonder whether you've got a response here for Adam Stewart on this idea that uh, revisionism uh, does try to stamp out uh, the Christian history and uh, and whether Australian Christian history is under threat from those secularists who do want to stamp out those sorts of stories. Uh, your thoughts for Adam? I suppose I want to stamp them out. There is a, a very aggressive form of secularism now I think Adam uh, and uh, there are those who are pretty keen to um, to stamp things out but I suppose most most Australian secularists are uh, just happy to let things um, just resolve just 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 um, fall away rather than keeping it going um, and that's probably why uh, our heritage is is not as robust as it should be but when you start looking into it, it's far more fascinating and it's far stronger than we've given it 
we've, we've given it credit for, it is far more influential in the shaping of all the institutions of Australia. Um, you know, the law, commerce, banking, uh, and uh, education, and health, and all these sort of things. If you took the church out of those things, then they would be far feebler, they'd be far more corrupt. Um, and uh, the best thing the governments can do, actually, is to do what Burke did, and that is tell the churches to get on with get on with it. I'm, I'm fascinated, by the way, in Australian history. A far more, more important truth about Australian history is the cooperation between church and state than the separation of church and state. They, they cooperate with each other when the cause is right in order to build a stronger nation, and so they should. And every now and again, as with a bloke like... Campbell, that we talked about in the first segment, whose monument is in St Philip's, and business also gets in on the act. And when those three things, business, church, and, uh, and uh, business, church, and uh, government, synthesise, then the nation is, is made the stronger for it, I'm sure. And I think Australian history witnesses to that far more than the separation bit. Fabulous stuff. Adam, great contribution. Thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to join in our conversation today, our special guest is Professor Stuart Piggin. Uh, Stuart, let's talk about your uh, visit to St. Stephen's Uniting Church to review Presbyterian history in Australia and uh, the Pitt Street Uniting Church and uh, some of uh, some of the identities that are associated with those. Yes. Good. Uh, um, one of the things that you notice when you go into these churches where they have the the role of the ministers that they've had, um, some of these churches like uh, St John's Parramatta, which we're going to, or St Philip's, as an Anglican, I know all of these names. They are all great men, almost without exception. Uh, uh, and uh, it's the same with um, St Stephen's Macquarie Street. Uh, very important ministers. Uh, in the in the centre of the city, uh, doing a great civic role. So, um, one of the ministers, for example, in uh, St Stephen's is um, is a Walker, and he is a descendant, of course, of Alan Walker. And Alan Walker is about fourteen generation, fourteen ministers removed from the first Walker convict who was converted, and uh, and his son became a minister, and then his son became a minister, and so on. And, Alan's about the 14th, 13th or 14th minister. And since then, there have been other ministers who are, bear the name Walker, including the one in St. Stephen's Macquarie Street. This is all about, this is one of the major themes of the, of the uh, tour, to emphasise these Christian dynasties, which have, been, which have been generating social capital throughout all of our history. It's, it's a wonderful story. Um, yeah. And, of course, uh, names like Fairfax and David Jones, uh, you'll be uh, highlighting well, yes. some of their history too. Well, they're in Pitt Street Uniting Church uh, now. It used to be Pitt Street Congregational Church. Pitt Street, of course, named after the Prime Minister, who was Wilberforce's great mate. And uh, um, Fairfax, the who bought the Sydney Morning Herald, he didn't found it, but he he, he purchased it and then the Fairfax family ran it for generations. Um, he he was a major deacon in um, in Pitt Street Congregational Church, along with David Jones. In the um, in the church itself, there's a monument to Fairfax, and above the 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 um, the, the pulpit is a slogan about um, 
the spirit of the Lord is in the spirit of the Lord there is liberty, and liberty is the is the great catch cry of the Congregationalists. These are what they bring to um, to Christian history. Really, I mean, these are the descendants of Cromwell. These are the ones who are all about bringing liberty into our democracy. Um, they didn't believe in controlling too much by law. They believed that people should be given freedom. They're very they're very strong on this, and so the Sydney Herald, right from the start, had that particular Christian emphasis. And uh, I suppose one of the tragedies of modern Australian history is the way papers like the Sydney Morning Herald have lost all that um, and uh, now are supporting those who want to downplay the Christian heritage. It's, it's a very bad development and Fairfax will be turning in his grave. Interesting when we talk about history and those sorts of foundations that are there and when you recognise that there's a major departure from those things perhaps in the present time, when the history is highlighted, Stuart, there is potential for reformation, a reform of those sorts of values. Do you think that highlighting this sort of history has any effect on perhaps people who are on boards and people who are decision makers and strategizers about some of the big companies in Australia, some of the big charities in Australia that somehow or other have detached from some of that Christian history that may well find some level of reformation because the history is there and needs to be highlighted and perhaps revisited. Any thoughts here? Yes, I think that um, that's one of the one of the effects of going to church every Sunday, worship, Sunday worship, has on has on people who are in the workforce. They're constantly reminded of what Christ wants. I mean, referring back to Adam's contribution earlier, I think that Jesus has been present in every small community in Australia. So every small community has got a story to tell us about Jesus. And when you go to church and you hear the Bible read and you hear it preached and so on, then it, it makes you do something practical in the real world for the betterment of the world. Indeed, I had experience of this just last Sunday when I went to church and I was reminded by the sermon of the need to do something about the poor and I hadn't done anything about a particular person who uh, is, is, was needy. And I, so I, as soon as I got home, I rang up somebody who is in the vicinity and said to them, can you actually go around and uh, perhaps attend to this poor person and uh, this person wrote wrote back immediately and said sure happy to do it (laughs) I thought to myself it's amazing the way these things work really it is it is amazing hey we're running out of time but I just want to touch on uh, some of the highlights you'll do on the third day of the tour, uh, the 20th of March, you're going to be travelling by ferry to Cockatoo Island uh, and visiting a convict chapel there. And uh, what's what's so special? We, we did touch on Cockatoo Island, uh, but uh, a place of secondary punishment uh, where, where convicts were sent, but there was Christian ministry that was happening there. What's so special about this visit to Cockatoo Island, Stuart? Well, these places of secondary punishment, they're awful places, and there are places all over Australia, uh, but and all over, particularly the eastern states. But the, the interesting thing from a Christian point of view is that there were Christian ministers who were prepared to go into those places and to minister there. The, the exciting thing about the early church in Australia is that you had Christian ministers who were brave enough, and, and laymen too, who were brave enough to minister to convicts, very difficult ministry to soldiers, very difficult ministry to uh, very bad convicts in these places of secondary punishment to Aboriginal people who are difficult to understand from a, from a point of view of culture. And yet there were Christian witnesses in, the, in all those places. There were very 
faithful in ministry in, in, in his early years and something perhaps we need to capture. Uh, so then we go down to Parramatta, and Parramatta is where all the action was in the early colony because Sydney was regarded as an awful place to live. So people quickly went to Parramatta. I didn't realise until recently that really New South Wales was governed from Government House in Parramatta until 1847 when Lady Fitzroy was killed in a, in a carriage accident, and uh, then the government, the governing of the colony reverted back to, to Government House in Sydney. But when you go to, we're going to go to Government House and look down and you get this tremendous perspective. I mean, it's just so marvellous being there. You get this tremendous perspective of what it was like. You look down from this hill where Government, government House is, right down to the water. Um, and um, uh, the convict buildings on either side, apparently, where the convicts lived. And you get this great sense of, uh, of what it was all about. On the other hill there is Marsden's uh, rectory. And so the church and the state, again, are combining in, in trying to bring some sort of civilization to this place. And then between the two, there is the old cemetery, which, as I mentioned earlier, is full of the tombs of the earlier pioneers and, and the first and, uh, settlers, whether they were convict or free, uh, all in there together. So we'll be spending some time in the old cemetery as well. So that'll be great. Well, you are going to have a fabulous time and I know listeners will be inspired uh, to hear the sorts of things that you're sharing and uh, just to know, uh, Stuart, that you're not a professional tour guide. Uh, a lot of professional <laughs> tour guides tend to learn the script off by heart and they know what to say, but no doubt there'll be opportunity for interaction and people will have their own questions or their own comments and you'll be able to uh, interact with people on this tour. And uh, I know you won't want them to sort of uh, trample all over your uh, your presentation because you're going to bring an amazing insight uh, for people who are on the tour. Now, let me mention the tour once again for those who are interested in being a part of it. Uh, the 18th to the 20th of March, it's called the His Story Tour. And uh, it'll be in Sydney, a three-day, fully immersive, turning-back-the-clock tour in the CBD of Sydney and the rocks. And uh, it is a wonderful time to be a part of something uh, that where you'll have the absolute privilege of having Professor Stuart Piggin as part of the tour uh, uh, guide uh, opportunity. Now, Stuart, I, I did mention your books. I do want to mention those because uh, people who are interested in the history may well want to get a hold of uh, your uh, your uh, two-volume set. Uh, the first one was the Australian Christian Book of the Year in 2019, The Fountain of Public Prosperity, Evangelical Christians in Australian History, 1740 to 1914. The second volume, Attending to the National Soul, that deals with the evangelical history over the past century, 1914 up to 2014. That means you've got a third volume coming, haven't you, Stuart? Well, what I have got coming on the <laughs> what I what I have got coming on the 23rd of March is the uh, launch of my biography of Archbishop Harry Goodhue, the Anglicans who might be listening. Okay. Uh, Harry Goodhue is just a marvellous um, Australian Christian, and uh, so I'm hoping this is encouraging uh, right. work as well. We'll look out for that, and uh, that one's coming up as a launch very soon too. But for, to be a part of this tour, the His Story Tour, I'll just point people to olivetreetravel.com.au. Olivetreetravel .com.au and not everyone will be able to get to this tour officially Stuart but we've mentioned a lot of places a lot of places that are even in easy walking distance if you're in the C Sydney CBD a lot of these churches no doubt people can wander into and uh, see some of these plaques and those sorts of things do you encourage or how do you encourage people who are 
on a holiday to Sydney to actually take in some of these Christian iconic sites. Yes, that's 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 what must be done, and uh, uh, I'm very keen to have interaction with uh, with with people who who are across our Christian heritage because there are a lot of there are a lot of people who are in the churches today whose forebears um, were forming Australia in the early parts of our, of our of our nationhood, and there'll be people I know on the tour who are descendants, for example, of the Hassel family, and so on, and so uh, and the Marsdens, and so on. Um, uh, It'd be great if some of the Campbells came along and <laughs> and some some of the Cowpers and so on. I mean, they, they've all got a lot to say to tell us. And so I'm very keen for interaction. You're right. Well, you know, extra, extra, from them. extra wonderful benefit. If you happen to have uh, descendants that go back to the First Fleet, yeah. you'll be flocking to be on the tour. Olivetreetravel.com.au. Uh, Professor Stuart Piggin, wonderful getting your insights once again. Thanks so much for taking some time to share these thoughts with us today on 2020. You're very kind, Neil. Thanks so much. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.